Hey guys, just want to let you know this is a clip from my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash crimson60620. Check it out. If you want to see some of my other videos, if you want to see some of my art as I'm doing it, or if you want to actually just get more of me, thank you. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, to bring this up right here. If you remember last time, we talked about Professor Wolf and the importance of raising the minimum wage. And it was actually pretty cool. It was a pretty vibe stream. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this motherfucker up again and actually go back to it is an interesting other part of the video. So, as most of you guys will know, like, I, I'm not a supporter of hardline monogamy monogamy that doesn't mean that i'm just like the slut is you know tramping around here although it um although i don't shut slut shame on my channel like you know don't slut shame don't kink shame um i found this interesting that why women had more had better sex in socialism this shit is just, I, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. And if you know anything about the history of Professor Wolf, it is, he has some interesting um, um, relations. So let's actually get back into what, um, let's get back into this video. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of... Welcome back! All right, I had to do it. Economic Being update for today. It is my pleasure to bring to you, to our microphones and cameras, Professor Kristen Godsey is professor of Russian and East European studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Her articles and essays have appeared in publications such as The New Republic, The Lancet, Ms. Magazine, The Washington Post, and The New York Times and also been translated into over 20 languages. She has published nine books on a variety of related topics, but the one we're going to start with today is the one that, I admit, caught my attention. <laughs> he's, what, in his 60s? And he's like, oh, yeah, this one, this caught my attention. Like, okay, let, let's hear this shit. Why women have better sex under socialism. Thank you very much, Professor Godsey, for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. Okay, I'm I'm struck by the fact that a, an old friend of mine who has been on this program, Yanis Varoufakis from Greece, um, wrote one of the blurbs for your book and recommends it highly. Uh, so given the provocative nature of the title that gets people's attention, tell us what the point of that book was. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote that Oh, and if you haven't heard of Giannis, he's actually another economist that's actually um, unlike with actual social justice work. Like mainstream economists, just like Professor Wolf, who thinks that our fucked up system of capitalism needs to change. But, you know, let's go. That book and, and what is the argument you make there? 
Right. So this book really kind of emerged out of about 20 years of research on women's lives in Eastern Europe. So the quote um, from Vadufakis on the back of the book is that capitalism is a calamity for women, right? Um, and I want to say, first of all, that I think capitalism is a yeah. calamity for everyone, right? Now, men and women alike. But <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> she getting in that digs deep early. Well, let's go. Because my research really focuses on women's issues and specifically women's issues in Eastern Europe, I was really interested in the fact that starting as early as the mid-19th century with people like Charles Fourier and Flora Tristan in France and Henri Saint-Simon, who really talked about the ways in which socialism, utopian socialism in their formulation, could not really come to fruition without also a concomitant commitment to women's emancipation. And that if you go back and you look at some of these early socialist theories, in fact, they were very much concerned with the question, women's question, as well as with the emancipation of workers and the freedom from the proletariat and the end of exploitation, that the end of exploitation in the family was as important a goal as the end of exploitation of workers. And then you have later uh, theorists like August Bebel and- uh, All right, so I'm sorry, because I don't read theory, but I just understand theory when it's actually explained. So what she's actually saying is that here, all you fucking conservatives who want the woman to be in the home and shit like that and take care of the kids. Here's the thing. That's fucking labor. The fact that the fact that we have motherfucking conservatives that aren't pushing for a higher minimum wage blows the shit out of me. Because in the end, in the fucking end, if you can make it off of one income, then somebody can stay at home with the kids to fucking make life work. But conservatives don't want to fucking deal with that. The only thing they want to do is a woman's place is in the kitchen. Oh, we need to have the man feeling like we won't need to have a man just taking care of the home. And it's just like, wait a minute. Wait one fucking minute. The fact that we live in a society where people can't make it on one income, a family of fucking four can't make it off of one income with the fucking federal minimum wage as it is and be considered below the poverty line. But you know, but my patriarchy, right? But let's continue. Frederick Engels and Clara Zetkin and Alexander Kollontai in, in, in the Soviet Union and before the Soviet Union, really talking about sexuality and uh, women's economic independence and the ways in which the commodification of women's sexuality is part of capitalism. And that once you overthrew capitalism, you would have uh, a sort of new kind of woman, right? The woman of the future, Babel talks about in his book, Women and Socialism. So these were theoretical claims and I'm a social scientist. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting was what happened to women in Eastern Europe after 1989 or 91, if you were in the Soviet Union, when you introduced capitalism. So as a social scientist, I, want, I was thinking, if I wanted to test these theories about the impact of economic systems on women's lives, you, you, know, you could do 
you could imagine a kind of double blind study or whatever. You took a group of women and you raised them under capitalism and you took a group of women and you raised them under some kind of ideal form of socialism. And then you um, came up with some kind of rubric and you measured the self-reported life satisfaction or whatever sexual satisfaction, what happiness, however you wanted to um, measure it. But of course you can't do that study because it's unethical. Like an IRB board wouldn't let you have babies to grow up in this way. Okay, that's fucked up. So what is she saying is she took data, self-reporting data from women that were under the, albeit, worst form of quote-unquote socialist. We're not going to have that discussion on this video. Um, or, and capitalism and how that affected them. Hmm. This should be interesting. Let's go. So what we look for as a social scientist is a natural experiment. And I think what's really fascinating about Eastern Europe after 89 or 91 is that it provided a natural empirical experiment, especially in a place like Germany, which was divided during the Cold War, where you had one population of Germans on one side of the wall and another population of Germans on the other side of the wall growing up under two economic systems. And then lo and behold, in 1990, they come back together. And social scientists just had a field day on this, right? They asked them all sorts of questions about how the economic system changed their lives in a variety of different ways. And so the claim of the book is actually quite simple it's that in fact socialism as and and people are going to um debate about what that word actually means because some people call it state socialism others call it state capitalism whatever it was that they had in eastern europe communism before 89 or 91 in the soviet union okay. was in fact better for women's lives on a variety of different rubrics than capitalism in the west and i even so you're telling me you're telling me yes how oppressive fucking the Soviet Union was how bad, like, albeit super bad and super planned economy that, that, like, led to some fucked up situations versus capitalism, the fucked up situation of state socialism or state capitalism from the Soviet Union was still better than women's lives? Mm. What's up, Boston? Let's go. I can take that argument a step further, and I say that because of the commitment to women's emancipation that these state socialist countries in Eastern Europe had during the Cold War between 1917 and 1991 in the Soviet Union, between 45 and 89 in Eastern Europe, their commitment to women's rights actually ended up putting pressure on Western countries to kind of step up their game when it came to women's rights. So it's a very empirically based argument. A lot of people who pick up the book are actually, it kind of has this titillating title, which of course the publisher chose. But in fact, um, it is a very seriously empirically rich and grounded book that really tries to grapple with the data that is available to us. And again, I understand that there are some methodological questions, but there is data available to us that shows us that not only were women's lives in some respects much better behind the quote unquote iron curtain during the cold war, but that after 89 and 91, their lives rapidly deteriorated with the introduction of free markets. So wait, 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 bam. So listen to this shit, listen to this shit. All right. So when you live in a system where it's promoting egalitarianism, equal rights, liberation for all. We're gonna say all because if you were brown skin in some of those countries, brown skin like me, then you may have had some issues, but, 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 if you lived in uh, where, you know, you were quote unquote set to be equal 
with men, you had a better life than an introduction of a hierarchy. Fuck. Fuck. Like, you would think that was just so, like, no, we opened up free markets to these, these, these Eastern European countries. So your life should be better. Oh yeah, we have oppressive systems where you're not oppressed by the government, but you're oppressed by how much money you have. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Well, you know, it's a wonderful example of something I'm concerned with and have been on this program, which is ending the Cold War in, in mental activity. So we're not good, good guys on the one hand, bad guys on the other, and all of that goes with that. And we have a more balanced strengths and weaknesses that exist in different ways on the two sides. And I see your work as moving us in that direction and therefore very important. But I know from my audience, could I press you to give us a couple of examples of how things were better then. So people are confronted with that and how they deteriorated afterwards. All right, cool, great. All right, cool, let's go. Sure, okay, so so the obviously the title of the book is uh, about intimate experiences. And one of the <laughs> things that we had are, you know, empirical studies that were done prior to 89 and post 89 in 1990, 91, 92, 93 in Germany before and after it was reunified about things such as sexual satisfaction, uh, about things such as desire, marriage rates and desirability to get married. Um, and what we find, you know, so the empirical data that's there, and of course it's self-reported and there are all sorts of issues with self-reported data, but given that you're asking the same questions to both sets of people before and after the fall of the Berlin Wall, what we see is that women in the Eastern part of Germany, the former GDR, report much higher levels of personal satisfaction with their relationships, both on a sort of emotional level as well as on an intimate level. Furthermore, we also find that men and women in Eastern Germany were more likely to want to get married than in Western Germany, where men were far less likely to want to get married than women. There was a big discrepancy between the desirability of marriage as an institution, partially because for women, marriage is, a, is an economic um, relationship. And for men, because they realize that it's an economic relationship that women are going to um, need to be supported in some ways, if, especially if they have children, there's a, there's, a, there's a discrepancy between the desirability. But it's not just in the intimate sphere. I talk about citizenship. I talk about women's political participation. I talk about women's education and training. So for instance, we can look at a study that was done in 2018 comparing um, the gender gap. There's a standardized test that is given across Europe in mathematics, for instance. The name of the study is called Girls, Math, and Social Socialism, I believe. And there's a standardized test that is given to all children across the EU. And as you know, many of the new EU member states are former socialist countries. Right. And what we see very clearly through this study is that the gender gap between men and uh, boys and girls in mathematics is much smaller in former socialist countries than it is in capitalist countries. So, wow, this is like, wow, in capitalist countries, we innately build a disparity between boys and girls uh, what wow wow because somebody has to be on top right yeah okay and that's not meaning how you guys think get your mind out the gutter and that persists to this day in some of these socialist countries there's no gender gap at all in mathematics we can also look at the percentages of women in science, uh, technology, and engineering. At a much earlier period of time in the Soviet Union and in Eastern Bloc, women were integrated into fields that are still heavily masculinized in the United States and in Western Europe. So the, the, the figures are really striking. In 2019, 
the percentage of graduates in science, technology, math, and engineering in Germany, even the reunified one, is only 28%, compared to a place like Poland, where it's 43%, or Romania, where it's 41%. So there are these huge payoffs. And that's just in the professional field. When we look at the intimate field, again, socialist countries, very early on in the Soviet Union, under somebody like Alexander Kolontai, they tried to socialize domestic work. So there were kindergartens and creches and children's homes and public cafeterias and public laundries and mending cooperatives. Now, the early Soviet Union did not was not able to maintain its commitments to those programs. And so for a variety of reasons, they were largely reversed or disappeared briefly after 1936 with the third family code, Soviet family code. But in Eastern Europe after 1945, because of male labor shortages due to the war, many of these policies were reinstated. And so if you look across the Eastern Bloc, and there was a lot of variety, I'm not saying that it was uniform, but there was a lot of variety, but pretty much without exception, they all had very strong commitments to the socialization of childcare and housework as much as possible. And again, there's a lot of variety here. And so excluding the Soviet Union between 36 and 55 and Romania after 66 and Albania, almost all of the other countries had very, very good commitment to women's reproductive rights as well, much earlier than in the West. And then that's on top of um, being mobilized into the labor force and employment opportunities and what ultimately is economic independence. And that's the key sort of linchpin, I think, to women's greater participation in the economy, greater participation in the polity. Now, that's not whitewashing the fact that in many respects, again, lots of variety in the block, <laughs> these were somewhat oppressive societies and, and some much more oppressive than others, especially in the 30s and 40s under Stalin and the Soviet Union. But I think it's really important, as you said, to deal with the Cold War that's in our minds. And women's rights are one of the things that these Eastern Bloc countries did really well. In Germany today, they've just celebrated the... So, like, you actually hear that data come out and it's like, yo, okay, the Soviet Union had some bad shit for not just women, but for men too. But, like, the fact that you see this commitment towards equality, when you commit towards just making sure that everybody is has a good start and work is actually shared then people are more it's easier for people to actually report happiness hell when like what is it like the old adage of happy wife happy life the fact of the matter is like Dude, like, this is actually interesting. Another fucking strike against capitalism. But let's let this finish out. The 30th anniversary of reunification, even in Germany, where they still consider the GDR to be a quote-unquote totalitarian state, one of the two totalitarianisms that affected Germany, even West Germans are willing to accept that, okay, on this one little thing, women's rights, at least there, the East Germans got it right, and we haven't done as well. And I think it's also important to realize that these Eastern Bloc countries took their path wait i just want to make a point did she say one of the two times germany was totalitarian i'm just sorry i'm sorry let's let's go package of reforms kindergartens crushes support for women's employment supports for women education and training they took that package and they exported it anywhere in the what we call the global south where people also were experimenting with socialist ideas so this had a huge impact on the development of women's rights and women's issues and women's questions across the globe throughout the Cold War. And if anything, I would say that after 89 and 91, we have pretty good evidence to show that women's rights have actually started to 
you know, lose the support of the global community because the Cold War is over. As with so many other things, having a clear ideological enemy sort of forced Western governments to really deal with some of the social issues that they would rather just sweep under the rug. And women's issues was certainly one of the most important. So I can give you lots of examples of these different kinds of very specific policies, but I think that's the general. <laughs> He's like, okay, great, great. Now, mind you, I have uh, the video on uh, one and a quarter speed, but like, yeah, she's excited about her work. And um, wow. Yeah, this, uh, wow. Here. What kind of stuff are they giving oh, you the oh. most trouble? That was, um, that was actually interesting. I'm glad that I came back to that video. Um, as a father of a daughter, um, yeah, it's actually interesting that you see when you push for more egalitarian things, it actually helps not just women. It, it actually helps everybody. All those people, all those fucking, um, I'm, I'm on Twitch, so I can't say the I word, but in celebration of, um, women's, uh, happy's women's history day. Maybe we should actually work on bringing a little bit more um, equality for women everywhere. Those with uteruses and those who don't have them. And by the way, I want to say thank you guys for watching. If you like this video, please like and subscribe and share the video. And if you would like um, on the top, you can actually see the link for my Streamlabs if you want to actually donate or down in the bottom for my Patreon. And thank you.